As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. It is Monday morning. And you finally made it home from Phoenix. What Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. Uh, Saturday afternoon. It was a. It was an interesting week. I got to tell you, um, the vibe was very different than it has been. You and I have gone to these meetings for years. First of all, it's the first time the Big Ten was there, which I think that also you know kind of ramped up. You know, you see Urban Meyer, you see Mark D'Antonio, James Franklin around, and all those other coaches. I think that. Uh, that added a little a more intrigue to everything there. But also, it felt different. We don't want to go down this road too much. But, you know, in past years, we would see 15 sports writers covering it. And this time there was about five. And uh, I think that reflects on just kind of the, the direction of the industry at this point. Yeah, but also some of it was that, that there was no news. Like the year before, a bunch of Big 12 writers came because the Big 12 was, you know, we thought possibly going to come out of that meeting deciding whether to expand or not. So... There was there was news to track. Uh, there really wasn't any this time. But any other takeaways since the last time? Well, I mean, the last time we recorded, I think we'd only been there about a day. So obviously, we talked to a lot more people since then. Um, you know, not not too much. You know, I had a, a good uh, I had dinner with with DJ Durkin, the head coach at Maryland, who's in his second season, and. Uh, you know, one thing we talked about a little bit was, you know, they have a they had a big recruit last year, Kasim Hill, who's a quarterback who will just be getting there, uh, I think, next at the end of this month or beginning of next month. And he's you know, it's been a while since they've had a really good quarterback. But talking to him and talking to a handful of other coaches, I feel like there's a lot of guys who are like counting or, you know, really hopeful that this that a freshman quarterback that they're excited about will come in and just kind of you know, hit the ground running because that, because there's so many, uh, so many programs that really need a jolt like that. By the way, I've joked on here before about your encyclopedic knowledge of heights and weights. Um, this time we seeing you in action and talking with these coaches, you know, where all the recruits are from, you would be talking to a coach and you'd be like, when does the kid from Vegas get there? Um, you know, that big kid from Maryland, it was that, that's another one that you seem to have uh, encyclopedic recall of. Stu, I am not paid to know anything about politics, and I'm not paid to know <laughs> anything about science. This is all I. This is all I, I need to know. Um, but I, I liked it. You know, this is just as a like maybe a little inside baseball stuff. I th- I thought about this before. When you go to these things, you know, it's very 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 informal, right? And so, you know, coaches. I don't think they they're relaxed. I'm not sure they want to be hounded by questions that they may be more inclined to get or be ready for when they're in front of a podium. So I think a lot of times I've thought, okay, who do I want, you know, who's comfortable talking football and kind of downloading what the spring went like and who are the coaches you just want to try to, you know, build a relationship with and get them more comfortable with you. And you have to kind of, you know, uh, manage your dialogue or your, your, your plan of approach accordingly. So, Yeah, I mean, you're right. A lot of our conversations were very, you know, like you and I talked to Gary Patterson for probably 15 minutes. It wasn't an interview. 
Uh, but I learned a lot about his team during that time. Same thing with Kyle Whittingham. Like those guys are, you know, I feel like, you know, they, I feel like they love to talk football all the time about that when they see you in the media and, and see a media member. And so it was, those are very beneficial like that. Other guys, it's almost like, you know, I was around Leach and a few other guys for hours. I don't think once we talked about any personnel issue with their players. We did get to see Leach mistake Tim Brando for Jim Nance. Oh, uh, uh, you're going to put it out there. Um, yes, it was, I, it, it, was, it was kind of a spectacular thing. <laughs> like so one, he was talking to. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Tell the story. So Jason Candle, a very smart young coach at Akron, and uh, I'm going to meet him. And sure enough, he's talking to Leach. And it's later in the night. And Tim wanders over and Leach says something on the lines of talk. He's telling Jason about about writing his book. And he looks – he kind of you know pats Tim, Tim on the chest and was like, yeah, I was kind of inspired by that book you did where you mentioned your father and this and that. And Tim kind of said – I heard him say it. I didn't get it. He goes – Tim said, you mean the book I'm, I intend to write? And then you know, Leach kept on talking about, about Tim's work. And then at one point it became a little awkward point when Tim goes, I think you think I'm Tim – I think you think I'm Jim Nance. <laughs> <laughs> So which which our friend Brando, was he flattered by that or upset about that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't the most flattering thing to be confused for somebody. I mean, Tim's been in the business a long time. But on the bright side, Jim Nance is a good looking guy. If somebody's mistaken you, I mean, I know I, I know Tim tries to dress up as much as he can. So that's not the worst thing in the world. I think also Jim Nance played college golf at Houston. So. Uh, Tim's being mistaken for a guy who's a single digit handicapper. Good, good on Tim. <laughs> All right. So I did get one story out of there, um, about a, about a rule proposal that's coming through the, through the works. And I did write a story about it. You can find on foxsports.com. You remember when, when Fournette and McCaffrey set out the bowl games and it kind of led to a whole discussion of, all right, the, the bowls are really losing their luster. If these guys are willing to sit them out, what can be done to renew interest? And, it was actually a mailbag reader of mine that suggested this, although I'm sure it was suggested other places too, and I kind of ran with it. Why not let the freshmen who've been redshirting all season play in the bowl game? And and I put that out there, and people immediately loved it because let's be honest, if you're unless you're playing for the championship or you're, you know, you're 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 the Rose Bowl last year or when Iowa went to the Rose Bowl and hadn't done so in a long time, for the most part, fans kind of look at these bowls as a preview of next year, right? If you win or lose. It kind of plays into the following season. So how cool would it be to just kind of get a peek at that really hot shot running back who redshirted that year? So while not driven by that particular reason, there is a proposal in the works from uh, the AFCA, the American Football Coach Association, and I talked to their executive director, Todd Berry, about it. The rule that they are proposing would allow players to play up to four games in a season and not burn their red shirt. And, I mean, the main reason behind it is injuries. You know, as the season gets longer and players run more plays, you know, you're running into situations where um, teams get, you know, ridiculously thin at a certain position, and it could be late in the season. You really want to keep that guy's red shirt, but you just can't. Um, We saw that, obviously, when Chad Kelly went down last season. Shea Patterson had to burn his red shirt. And then the example we talked about there with Dana Holgerson I mean, he had a freshman running back last year, Martel Petaway, who he had no plans to play. And then their top three running backs go down. He puts him in in the 11th game of the regular season, burns his redshirt for that. So, I mean, that's the main reason being given. But, yeah, one of the, you know, one of the potential benefits of that would be you could be a little you know looser with the ball game, especially if we're going to find more and more guys doing this, more and more draft prospects leaving. I mean, you've got to have somebody to replace them. So your thoughts on that proposal? I like it. You know, I'm sure somebody will hear this and point out something that maybe we hadn't thought of as a negative. But, you know, as Dana Olgerson said, you know, they're not playing 10 games anymore. The seasons get longer and longer. Uh, I just think it's a win-win all around. I, I think it makes too much sense. I was trying to think of a negative. I was racking my brain for one. Um, and I, the only, like, minor one I could come up with, and I said it to Todd Berry, was... Some, okay, so obviously you can't just like exempt certain teams from it. So the playoff teams would be able to do it too. 
would it be unfair or or I don't know what the word would be for it if like Alabama unleashed all its red shirts in the playoff game, you know, and and you know is a drastically looking t- different team maybe than than during the season. But his counterpoint was if those kids were that good, Saban would have been playing. Yeah, he's not already. unleashing anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing is if you want to say unfair, I mean, if you don't make a if you don't make a bowl, you don't get those fifteen practices. So there's already an inherent uh, unfairness to begin with. So I don't. I, to me, I don't have any any problem with it i think it's a good idea and I yeah think I, I think it's probably just that I mean, it's just been that way for for as long as i've known i, mean, I don't know when the red shirt concept necessarily um i mean at one point freshmen couldn't play period um but anyway it's just the way it's always been you, you know you you play a game you burn your red shirt uh and then there's also the, and also this would eliminate the idea of the medical red shirt which can be so not arbitrary, but like if you injure yourself in the third game of the season and you lose the season, you can get a red shirt. If it happens one game later, you can't. So yeah, like at that point, if they're going to do that, you can't practice. There are certain rules that kind of get to be very murky, I think, in how it's played out. It's also more modest and, you know, it would be less, um, you know, it wouldn't change the entire scope of things as much as like Jimbo Fisher, for one, and he's not alone, have proposed over the years that we'll just let them play five years. Um, I, I do think there's something to be said for trying to stick mostly to a four-year career since you're trying to graduate in four years for the most part. But uh, Here's one thing. It's better for the student-athlete. Why not do it? I mean, in this case, I think it's better for both sides. It's better for the student-athlete, and it's better for... It's better... I mean, Pat Fitzgerald, I talked to him about it, pointed out it's better for the whole team. If you have a little more depth that you know you can... You, you can play one guy for four games at this part of the season, one guy here, one guy there. No, you can take you can rest your your main guys for a few more snaps per game. So uh, I should note this is very, very early in a very long process. It takes so many hurdles for them. I mean, this is just like only now going to be forwarded to the to the first committee that looks at it. Then it goes to the oversight committee. Then it goes into the legislative process. The earliest you would see this actually come to fruition would be. January is when they would the whole NCA might vote on it, but um, I don't know because of what we're saying. I mean, for it to not pass, somebody would have to raise some sort of major opposition, uh, and I don't see that happening. Any other reaction or somebody you you saw that you hadn't seen in a while or somebody? That- well, so I didn't see. I mean, I I had to leave before the Big Twelve really started their meetings, but uh, toward the back end of the week. But our friend George Schroeder had a sit-down with Bill Snyder. He wrote up in USA Today, and I believe you said he visited with all the reporters. You know, that has kind of gone under the radar this season. Bill Snyder's, uh, you know, going through treatment for cancer. Uh, It seems to be going well, but he is 77, and there's reason for people, obviously, to be really concerned. Is he really going to keep coaching? Uh, By all indications, he is. Uh, You saw him. Uh, anything stand out? He did look like he lost quite a bit of weight when I'd seen him. And, you know, the last I saw him was like, hey, look forward to seeing you on the field this season. And he was, you know, he's always very pleasant. But, you know, I'm hoping that he's able to make a strong recovery through this because obviously it's it would be grueling if he was 20 years younger. But at that age, you know, you you really worry about somebody, you know somebody's health and how they respond to things to a treatment program like that he's also so determined to just keep working this is from george's story for six weeks he would drive two hours to kansas city spend the night treatment in the morning drive back work in the office get up the next day and do it again he didn't take any time off for this yeah i mean and look and, and i think we've talked about this i think he knows he's got a really good team he's also not a guy who's not a you know go play golf guy or do some of these other things that that a lot of other coaches do you know i mean just there's a couple you know you're around coaches wives at this setting sometimes and you know they talk about the travel and some of the places they like to go and so some of them see like at life after football is very very enticing to them and I'm not sure where, you know, if Bill Snyder's, you know, of the same mind as that, you know, he loves his job and he loves that program. And, and obviously, uh, obviously that's been a huge part of his life. Whenever he does retire, whether it's this year or next or whenever, 
Um, there's a there's a situation brewing there at Kansas State. And it's remember, been there for a, it's been there for a while. His son Sean is a really good special teams coordinator. You know, obviously, he would love if he could take over for him. I mean, he that's his obviously strong preference, and then I don't know that. I mean, John Curry left as AD, left for Tennessee, and he you know he got out of having to deal with that situation. But whoever's going to have to deal with it, the new AD, um, you know, is Sean is Sean is Sean necessarily the the most qualified for the job, or is he obviously the current head coach's choice? And since the current head coach is a legend there. Do you kind of have to honor that? It says here in in George's story that his contract signed in January 2013 stipulates that he will have, quote, appropriate input in the search for his replacement. Sean runs Sean virtually runs the program right now, says Snyder. He has served in so many capacities. He's the associate AD, he's the associate head coach, special teams coordinator, served as director of ops for a long time. So he knows more than anybody on that campus. He knows Kansas State University football. Do you would you dare cross Bill on his way out by, you know, passing on Sean? Also, and this has been theorized, would would Coach Schneider do what many others in this situation have done, most notably, I think, to Dean Smith and retire right before the season so that you have really no choice but to promote from within? Yeah, I don't I mean, all those things are valid questions. You know, neither one of us is K-State guys, meaning we didn't go to school there. We never spent any time covering the school extensively. I mean, for me, if, if there's if there's one coach who probably has earned that, it's the guy who built the program and, and rebuilt it after, you know, kind of the debacle they had under Ron Prince. And also, it's not like you're taking a guy who, I mean, Sean uh, Sean's really well respected as a special teams guy. I don't think it's a stretch to think that, you know, it's not like this is this is Alabama or Texas either where you're going to get, you know, guys, you know, like the hottest coordinator is going to go, I'm going to go to Manhattan, Kansas and follow Bill Snyder. You know, let's keep in mind, you know, that uh, axiom, it's not great to follow a legend. You want to be the guy to after the guy, uh, you know, could they get a Jim Levitt to come back? It's obviously the language is in a contract to make it favorable. Uh, would they get Brent Venables? I don't know if Brent would, would take that job. He's obviously one of those guys who, who learned under, learned at K state. But for me, I would think, you know what? I think maybe that is the right thing to do and give Sean a chance if, and when that time, uh, when, when the time comes that, that Bill Snyder's ready to step down. You agree? I, I think it would be a popular job. And, uh, and like you said, there are some pretty respected coaches who have tie, you know, who have come through there. You mentioned, uh, Brent Venables, who I still don't understand how he's not a head coach. Jim Levitt has always been mentioned for that job. Obviously, he is. He had a a fall from grace at USF. He's resurrected himself nicely at Colorado now at Oregon. Um, you know, I'm not close enough to it, like you said. I know all I know is I've heard a lot of reservations from other people, and almost like, yeah, there's no way they can do that. But you know, is it is what's the worst that can happen give him a shot if it doesn't it work can't, out it after can't a couple work. Years. can it really work out any worse than the ron prince when you went outside the family worked uh that one that one was <laughs> that one did not work out very well i know i said can it work it wouldn't go can it be any worse look he's the and that would also by the way be another reason to maybe and, and this is just totally speculative he's given no reason to indicate that he would step down before the season other than of course this health scare he's going through um, they got a really good team coming back. If you could set your guy up for success by handing him this team versus, you know, next year when they may have to, you know, they have to find a new quarterback and start over a little bit. Yeah. So do you agree with me? <laughs> Make Sean Snyder the, the, not the head coach in waiting, but like he's the next coach. I think you should go get the best possible coach. For, I mean, he should be in the mix. So you're saying no, you're no, saying I'm no. saying it, he should obviously be considered. But if there's somebody who we think is a better coach who would take the job, I don't know why you would not go with the best candidate. Because whoever you get, whoever you get for that job is going to be an unknown commodity to some degree. Now, now the closest thing who wouldn't be an unknown would be Jim Levitt at this stage. You know, we like Brent Venables. Brent Venables, by the way, I think isn't isn't really like chomping at the bit to go be a head coach. He knows he's got a good situation at Clemson. 
Uh, and as much as we like Brent Venables, he's never been a head coach. There's no guarantees that you know he would he would go in there and and uh, and knock it out of the park. I mean, I think he will do well as a head coach, but no guarantees for sure. But I mean, at this point, he's been a national championship defense. If you're Brent Venables, by the and way, and he has Brent worked, he has played and coached at Kansas State. Okay, if you're Brent Venables. Which job would you be? Which job would you rather have? Assuming they both came open, this is a big assumption, but uh, to be the head coach at K State in 2018, or to go work with his best friend, the AD at Texas Tech, uh, Kirby Hokut. Are you suggesting that would come open this year? No, I'm saying you know, like let's say hypothetically both jobs are open in 2018. I mean, to me, Texas Tech is a is a better situation than K State. Texas Tech is a is probably a more appealing job because of where it's because of the fact that it's in Texas. But he is he's a he's a wildcat. Is he going to turn down his alma mater to go there? Just I'm I'm just saying to you, think about what you're walking into. You would be the new head coach. Now, clearly, the AD would want you. The AD had come from North Dakota State, um, but. You're replacing Bill Snyder. I know you're, you're replacing Bill legend. Snyder, but and, and and that's why I and think you're I'd going, be... and you're going probably going against his wishes. That was one of your mentors, and you're going against that's his true. wishes. Before. That's true. That's an issue to consider. I just if he's going to become a head coach and he has the chance to do that at the school where he played for Bill Snyder, I don't know how he turns that down. By the way, speaking of Texas Tech, we should mention a interesting theory that was posited by somebody who we won't mention at Big 12 meetings, if Cliff gets fired this year, would Texas Tech go out and hire Art Bryles? Oof. Uh, I don't know. I think I'll believe it when I see it. I know that there are some powerful Texas Tech people who are close to Art Bryles, but I don't know. I'll believe it. Like I said, I'll believe it when I see it. Texas Tech does have a history of having hired Bob Knight after he got fired in Indiana. Billy Gillespie after he got fired at um, Kentucky. So neither of those are anywhere near, you know, what happened under Art Bryles at Baylor. Nevertheless, I can see why people would think that is something that could happen there. I will just, nothing has changed my opinion that Bryles is too toxic and will never get another, at least not FBS, head coaching job. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, look, I, I think Texas Tech's defense should be much better this year with the year three under under David Gibbs. I don't know if they can I hope be better so. on offense. I mean, I, yeah. It's been terrible for five years yeah. now. I don't know if they can if they can get much better, you know, without Mahomes on on uh, as the trigger man. But I think defensively they should be better. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not writing Cliff off. He's a really smart coach. So we'll see what 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 happens there. But yeah, uh, when I, we both heard that theory, like, and some and there was some rationale behind it. Uh, I wasn't ready to jump all in and buy it, but it was interesting to hear, and it was from somebody who we both trust and know is is pretty informed. All right, so to put a bow on our coverage from Phoenix, we, we got you uh, P.J. Fleck last week, and literally back-to-back we did these interviews. Um, we have Brett Bielema, the Arkansas head coach, who just always enthusiastic to sit down and talk about his program. But um, one thing we should note, this interview was conducted last Thursday. On Monday, it was announced that Raleigh Williams, Arkansas's uh, top running back last season, who suffered another neck injury this spring is retiring. He actually announced that himself. So you'll hear us ask him about it, but this was before we knew this information. So unfortunately we didn't get to ask him about the impact of him not coming back, but um, yeah, let's play that for you now. All right, guys, we are pleased to be joined by Arkansas coach Brett Bielema, who we enjoy visiting with every year here. <laughs> if we always, if we don't know which coach is exactly here, we always see you here. Yeah, but you know what? It's a good event. What I love to come, I started coming here probably uh, my first year. I think Coach Alvarez recommended it to me, and it allows you to be around coaches that, especially I'm one of the few SEC guys out here. I was on American Football Coach Association. That's why I came, really. Um, but you can talk about discipline you can talk about scheduling i take I, we schedule games out of this meeting you know uh, on our on our schedules for you know uh out of conference games so it's it's really just a great event who's the most interesting other coach here if we're saying you're number one who would you say? <laughs> like, okay, this i don't know if i want that ranking um 
uh, you know, the guy, PJ, I, I've known PJ, you know, um, growing up in the business, and I knew he was going to be a guy eventually, and knew a lot of people that knew him, and obviously he's a guy that walks to his own drum, you know, and I think that's fun to watch. I'm, I'm actually pretty good friends with Mike Leach, catch up with Mike, uh, he, he was uh, uh, unable to join us on a trip this year that I usually get to hang out, and they just had twins as, as grandparents, so I got to hear that whole story. Um, in the American Football Coach Association, Rich Rod was our president this year, but there's a lot of personalities in that room, and with some of the hot topics going around college football right now, some some energy came out of those meetings, shall we say? So it's kind of fun to see that. Well, what, so I would think the hot topic, but it, it's it just passed was all of the recruiting legislation. I mean, is that still something that was a big part of the agenda this week, even though it's it's gone through? You know, um, two things. Um, I always go back to you know um, you know elementary school or junior high science class, right? When you're learning to do an experiment. There's this thing called variables, and if you do more than one variable at a time, you never know the result because there's too many variables in play. We just put a whole bunch of variables into action at one time, you know. Uh, I would have preferred to probably have seen either early. I would have loved to have seen the spring visit dates and keep the recruiting calendar the same and see how that changed, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know what the combination now of we're going to have. They keep saying we're going to take a year and look at it. Well, is it going to? I know the coaches and our, our high school coaches are adamantly opposed to the December sign day because there's going to be a lot of them that it's literally taking place on the on the week of their state championship or semi. I mean, it's just or what happens if a coach gets fired or a coach jumps to another job? Are you one percent. And, and here, okay, we're supposed to be all about student welfare, which I think is priority number one. Now these spring recruiting dates. All right, so there's a rule that that I think most coaches abide by is that after your sixth semester of high school, you got a pretty good understanding of where a kid is academically. Academically, now in the sixth semester, the most most uh, prominent semester of that kid's career, he could take five visit weekends, and tell me what that does for his academic performance. You know what I mean? And and just. That's the thing I think people didn't. All of a sudden, we were taking some spring visits because a couple of students said, "Hey, I'd like to take in spring visits." Give it a one-month window or do something. I don't know what three, three months, months. especially one. April and May. I mean, that's the prominent one academic the, time. One of the coaches I spoke to was not happy about it. He said, "You know, for three months." He said, "This to me makes no sense." He thought it was very harmful, but he said, "You know, we all voted." one way and then all of a sudden it's a 180 now when I talked to Todd Berry who's who runs the AFCA as yeah. a former ULM coach yeah. he said well it's kind of a compromise because we heard the student athletes wanted they wanted January yeah. uh, and they wanted no dead period yeah. and so it was like okay well then when I explained that to somebody else they were like I don't know why this is a compromise here who are we listening to well I, I think um, just like within my team uh, you know I have a what we call a hog council. And I had a Badger council and I had a Wisconsin. So it's two players from every position. And 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 I go to them for their voice and how we handle our business, you know, what we do. Um, so I understand why we're leaning on the student athletes. I think you gotta look at who our student athletes were taught. So like I remember when I first started going, the kids that I put on those student athlete advisory boards a lot of times were maybe former walk-ons that are great students that I knew could handle the extra demands of their time. They didn't get recruited anymore, and I got recruited, you know. <laughs> I, I, I went to spring game and shook Coach Fry's hand. That was my recruiting story. I mean, big deal. Uh, you know, so every kid's story is a little bit different. I'm sure we'll get to where we want to be. Again, the, nothing more important to me than the, than this, you know, the, the ability to make those kids. And here's the other. They passed a rule about four years ago. So kids during their senior year used to be able to make up a certain number of academic um, misfortunes early in their career. So if I'm a senior, I could go take you can't do that no more in your senior year, your junior year. What's the logic behind it? They think people were just... I think you were having guys that were literally taking 12 classes and turning, you know, Ds and A's. And, 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 and I've been across this country and I realize sometimes there's some kids that get benefits that, that yeah. you know. So I think, again, unintended consequences. That, that they're, they're past the rule. That's one variable. So now kids have to concentrate better through their junior year. Now all of a sudden we're going to take them out of the out of their highest performing semester because up to that junior you can still take repeat classes up to your se- spring semester your junior year. So if I'm a junior and I am going to be D1 bound and I know that I took a sophomore Spanish class that I got a D in and I can I can get a, you know maybe a better grade I can still take it that spring semester. Oh wait a minute yeah I'm also visiting these five universities. So that's it. Okay so just devil's advocate here. Yep. 
if you make a great devil. <laughs> oh, great. Now that's going to go viral. Which is the worst image? Him with horns on, or you coming in here with bells on? Remember <laughs> well, my text? Yeah. I, don't know, I had an uncle or somebody always say he used to be there with bells on. So All the issues are totally legitimate. If this had all been happening when you were at Wisconsin and somebody said, you're going to have a chance to start bringing kids in here in June when it's beautiful in Madison mm-hmm. as opposed to January... Do you think you feel differently about it? I, again, I, I do think we should be allowed to do June. I, I, I don't think that's a dark. So I know there's a little SEC big time thing, but I think taking June is very smart. I think it, for me or Wisconsin or anybody, because the kids are done with classes, there's a natural little break there. You know what I mean? Um, what we do find, you know, just because we work our, our camp dates, a lot of times kids aren't done with classes till the end of May. You know what I mean? June 1st is that kind of that drop dead period. Um, so... I don't think it's dependent on where I'm at. Um, you know, now I, I do think that we found a way to get guys there. Um, and, you know, if a kid kid really wants to get there, I think even though they say they don't have the means, usually there's some way to make it happen. Um, that limits certain kids. I understand that. But that's kind of been the story throughout time. If you could be the king of college football, what would be the biggest thing you would change about it? Uh, um, I think, uh, without a doubt, the... the Opportunities that our student athletes um, to be recruited nationally um, is, is a good thing. Uh, so that means uh, they shouldn't have any uh, reservations about if I'm from Florida going to school in Oregon, if that's where I want to go because of uh, you know the cost of attendance factor. Uh, and so that's becoming a little bit more uh, a little bit more of a balance act. I, I would think um, universal um, scheduling, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, there probably is a, a merit to um, weigh in, and I know the, the football coaches are the, uh, the, the committee that decides who's in the playoffs. They try to do their best, but there is some dramatic differences. As coaches, we realize somebody's 12 games versus somebody else's 12 games. Would you like to go to the Pac-12 model? No, I, no, I just think like... Um, there's certain teams that they're just 12 games aren't going to be to the same level. Two of them might be, you know what I mean? But the, 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 today's world, we're all about perfect, right? So some teams may be at um, certain levels that are, are, are 11 and 1 or 12 and 0, I think would be some of those might struggle to be a, a, a bowl eligible team in another conference, you know what I mean? And it's not right, wrong, or different. It's just what it is, you know? So I think those two things would jump out. Those would be going. That big, big a difference, huh? There's a big difference. Yeah, like I could see somebody saying eleven and one in one conference is nine and three in another. You think it'd be that big a difference? Well, but not even not not amongst the power fives. I'm saying, but even like, oh, you know, okay. when some of the yeah other ones make runs, you know, and you're like, huh, it's it's just not to do it week in and week out. It's it's over. Gotcha. What I've learned in the SEC, it's it's about it's, it's about as much about being able to survive and get to the next week and have you guys ready to go on Saturday. Uh, there were definitely times, you know, that when I was a head coach of Wisconsin where you, you knew you had a little lull in your schedule, you, you know what I mean? That, that, that It just wasn't the same thing week in and week out, you know? Um, it's just what, just what it was. Yeah. Did you feel like you could, this is year five? Did mm-hmm. you feel like you'd be where you are now? Did you feel like you'd be further? Or how did you? You know, um, I actually was feeling we, we were bowl eligible earlier than we've ever been bowl eligible. And we closed the year with two bad ones in the second half. So we... I say this, we were in a good position the first half, which gets you a little bit excited, but we lost one in the second half against Missouri, which was, you know, gut-wrenching, undescribable, can't happen. And then turn around, you know, Virginia Tech took Clemson to the wire in that championship game of theirs. And, you know, so I knew, and we were up big on them, weren't able to close the second half. And if we just win those two games, we're a nine-win team. I built one win every year. But I do think this, everybody would have been walking around thinking they're King Kong. Everybody would have been like, oh, Billman. And now we had a little bit of a setback, and it's really allowed me going into year five to really kind of throttle them a little bit, you know, and, and they're very coachable. They're listening very, very well. So we went to a bowl game every year than my first, which is great. Um, it allows us to get those extra practices. Recruiting is as good as it's ever been. Um, so I am excited where that's going. I just I, I just want the win total to be spiked up, you know. Um, you get to a 9, 10, 11 win season, now you're somewhere. So, uh, so given the way the last season ended, what was the biggest change you wanted to make? Uh, you know, Accountability, you without a doubt. Yeah. Um, count on me. We, we, you know, just hey, I, I need. We got to a point now. Um, we did a lot of uh, culture building when we got in there. We had guys that were underachievers in the weight room, in the classroom, and in, the, in their performances. People and 
to take that to another level to get them to care about themselves first, and then they can. I can't care about you until I learn to care for me. You know what I mean? And now, now that's building our guys. Our guys' accountability factor uh, has been off the charts this spring, and they're so coachable. I made change to the three-four on defense, which has been a, a big deal. I think it's going to be a positive for us. And we got so many good players back on offense. That's they they know what failed, and I can't wait to bring it to success. Yeah, your quarterback. Obviously, his brother was a lot had a lot of success. Now, yeah, did all these big JC receivers they get there in mid year? Are they coming in? Now? Yeah, two came in. Uh, so we had two right out of the same JUCO, actually, out of uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast. And Great program. Big kid, yeah, right? Brandon Martin's uh, probably all of six four, two twenty. Um, we probably need to back him off a couple of cheeseburgers. I mean, he's going to get about two fifteen, but it's been really good. Catches the ball, physical, tough, demanding, loves football. And Jonathan Nance came with him. They've been together now for two years, so it's kind of been nice to have that other guy to lean on, you know, a little bit. Uh, and then we have Jared uh, Cornelius back, who's a good one. And then we had a couple uh, sophomores, you know, Michael Petway and Deion Stewart, come along. So we're, we're actually um, – we lost four guys to the NFL, four wide receivers. And for me, you guys know my history, to have that many good wide receivers uh, is, is, is not very common. So I'm excited for this group to kind of, kind of prove their own. Yeah, so Austin Allen, I think, surprised a lot of people last yeah. year. Coming in, very productive right from the beginning. What do you, what's the next step for him? What do you think his potential is this year? Two things. Crunch, crunch time. He needs to be great in the red zone, third down. Red, uh, you know, the, the time when a quarterback is kind of defining to himself. Uh, and then he can't put the weight of the world on his shoulders. When I saw his performance um, decrease is when I think he got in big games and he, he thought he had to do something more than he was. Uh, I saw this from... Paul Chris, a long time ago, used to use it as the OC. I always used to say, I don't need to be special. I just need the good you to be you. You know, just every day if that good in you can come out, uh, we're going to go places. You know, just be the best you. And, and I think our kids are taking that. You had all these great running backs at Wisconsin and obviously came in and had some good ones here. Yeah. What's the situation like with your some of your younger guys now? I know you're well, you know, it's kind of uh, um, kind of the same thing. You know, when, when I, I was at Wisco, I remember I came in my first year in P.J. Hill. Uh, ran for all these yards. No one knew who he was. So then after him, John Clay was kind of a little bit more heralded, but Monty was, all of a sudden Monty Ball came in and Jamie White came in and everybody's like, wow. You know, um, we've done the same thing here. So I brought Alex in my first year. Jonathan Williams already there. They, they have two great years for us. Both of them leave a year early. Both are juniors jump out. One goes to the Bills and one goes to the Seahawks and playing in the NFL. So you're kind of like, two, two juniors just jumped out. What are we going to do? Well, Raleigh Williams becomes the SEC leading rusher. And, and there's a kid behind him named Devon Whaley that you know, really just started to come into his own, and he's going to take a huge step for us this year. Might be physically one of the best jump cut runners I've ever had. A very talented player. Uh, and then we got a couple of freshmen behind him. We, we, in our program, the two things we can recruit are O-linemen, running backs, and tight ends, really. And, and um, we've been able to do that pretty good, I think. What's the... Uh, What's the- the injury situation, though, at running back. You know, um, actually, when I get back, I'm going to have a meeting with uh, um, the doctors in Raleigh's family and figure out exactly where they're at with everything. Yeah. You, you anticipate them being ready for You know, I, I, just because I've been out here, um, uh, I know that, uh, that that we not only – when he returned to play the first time, I was I, I was like, okay, we're not going to have him again. And then all of a sudden they started talking about it. So then I told his mom and dad, I said, you find an independent doctor on your own that we don't have any – ties to it and if we're all coming to the same answer uh, we'll let this thing proceed so I think it's getting all those doctors on the same page and the same table and I think even the, the original ones we talked to now they're checking with their people uh, to see where we're at my last thing would be uh, Alabama's obviously had this great run yeah. I mean, yeah. amazing run Saban just gets this huge extension yeah. the other day um, do you like do you get to other programs in their division do you guys look at it as like we're chasing them or we can't worry about Alabama. We just got to. No, I think that I don't know if the kids do. Well, I think as coaches, you have to have an understanding of where your competition is, you know. And I know when I was at uh, Wisconsin, I knew we couldn't get to a Big Ten championship until we beat Ohio State. And the year we beat Ohio State, we won our first Big Ten championship, you know. Um, I don't know if it's as prominent uh, in this league as it is with that because um, Alabama is obviously the gold standard. They've, they've established that. But any other team, you know, Ole Miss has beat them. Some, we beat Ole Miss, I believe, the last three years, but they beat Alabama mm-hmm. a couple of those years, you know. So I was like, it's not as um, it's not the same as, as it was in that regard. But I do know that we got to have success against them to, to have a chance to get to Atlanta. Getting the visibility from the show you guys did, 
And you've seen a lot of feedback you get national from it? Without a doubt. Um, so we, we actually then would um, take the episodes and mail them to parents. I, I think um, the kids definitely want There's a lot of kids that say, "Go, oh, love the show. But when we go into the homes and the moms and the parents and the teachers and the coaches, coach love, a lot of them love my wife. I don't, I don't know if I was a big hit, but they, they liked her. And, and, and I think the reality of it was, was big. And just because we got a baby on the way and it's been kind of a crazy one with new, new defense, new, new staff, I opted not to do it this year, but might look into it next year. I, I had the option, just didn't, didn't feel good. It's going to be, uh, what are you most apprehensive about becoming a dad? Because coaches don't sleep much anyway. <laughs> you know, um, no apprehension. All the tests have been, everything's alive and healthy. Everybody, it's a little baby girl. Everybody thought I wanted a boy, but I just said I want something healthy. Um, and, and I'm excited, waited a long time uh, to be a father. It was something I always wanted to do, but just the way it all worked out. So I'm excited. I, I, I do think that uh, I'm, I'm sure it's going to create some some new things that I've never had to deal with, but I always say that my best part of my job is every day I drive into work and I'm drinking a cup of Joe and I say to myself, what's going to happen today that I have no idea is going to happen? And I'm sure it's probably going to be twice twice that effect now with a little baby in the world. Are you, are you ready to change diapers? Or? I, I, I grew up with a, a younger sibling. I was seven when my little sister was born, so I do have some baby training in me back in the day, so we'll see. Yeah, it's an interesting experience. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm eager. All right. We thank Brett Bielema for joining us. He is always engaging and he's one of our favorite guests. Uh, Stu, so we talked about this with him on there. It is coming up on year five for him at Arkansas. How warm do you think his seat is there? I think it's starting to get warm. And it's basically because of what he said with the way last season ended. It's just like a Losing to Missouri, I think, was considered pretty unex- inexcusable. Miss- Missouri wasn't very good last year. They blew the ball game, and they end up having basically taken a step back rather than continuing that slow climb he had had. I, Jeff Long is his AD. I don't think Jeff Long is going to make. He's not the kind of AD that's going to make a you know abrupt change. So I think they'd have to be pretty bad this year for that to happen. But. I can see why Arkansas fans might be starting to get frustrated. It's not, I mean, he has yet to have, I think there was an understanding right when he first got there that Petrino left him a big mess and it was going to take a little time. A huge, a huge mess. A huge I, think mess. I think we forgot how bad they were in 2012 with John L. jumps in. And so you have three coaches in, you know, whatever it was, 14 months, maybe it wasn't even that long. And, you know, John L was kind of a disastrous band-aid to throw on what, you know, the grease fire Petrino left behind. I do think it's it's worth noting about, you know, how depleted the roster was when he went in there. No so. question. And that's why he got a mulligan for going 0-8 in the SEC his first year and 2-6 and the next. But, you know, that's ancient history now. So, you know, I think it's reasonable at this point to expect more than seven wins or even eight wins. And I think I think he'll get it done because the defense took such a step back last year. It'll it's got to be better. They've got a good quarterback coming back. Uh, you got to believe they'll always have a good running game. You know, look, there's a lot of SEC West coaches considered to be on the hot seat. Most notably, someone Malzahn, Bielema, Freeze is, but for other reasons. You know they're not all going to lose their jobs. Some of them are going to bounce back just fine. And if I'm putting my money on whether that's going to be Bielema or say Sumlin, I mean Bielema's got enough of a track record. That I think it'll be him. I think Bielema has the most favorable situation of them. Meaning, if he goes seven and six again, I think he still he could survive that. They fire him. Yeah. If that happens in in College Station or if it happens in Auburn, I think they'll clean house at both of those places. Correct. Um, but what happens you know, at that point if they're seven and six again? I mean, clearly then, he'd be. Then under. I think he, he. Then I think his. Then he is on a hot seat going into 2018. How much given, do you think? You know what we're saying right now that he has a little more uh, leeway is just due to the fact that he has. He has bring it, brought so much with his personality and become such a popular figure off the field that you maybe are more willing to forgive the on the field stuff. For me, it's, it matters. It matters, but I'm not a I'm not an Arkansas booster. Yeah, I mean, look, he went from having you know one of the one of the more despicable characters in college sports as your head coach 
and then you went to a guy who is a big, engaging personality. Uh, now, look, you know, I like a lot of the stuff Bielema says at like media days and how he carries himself. That's probably, not, you know, there's probably other people who, who don't like him for some of those same reasons. But I do think he represents Arkansas and makes Arkansas relevant and interesting uh, in a ways. And I think that that matters. Now, if he goes five and seven this year, I don't know. I think he'd be in trouble at that point. I I think there's too much at stake. You're paying too much money to be going to to be taking another step back. You know, I think the the minimum is he gets to a bowl. As long as he gets him to a bowl game, I think he's fine this year. Now, if he doesn't, then I think all bets are off. But, uh, you know, and, and we got to see what happens in the SEC who's, who emerges because, like you're alluding to, aside from Alabama, somebody is going to take a big step forward. It has to at this point. Does all of this make you appreciate, like, you, you, I know you referred to Petrino, and, and Petrino as a person in, the mo- in not the most savory way, and I understand so, but... I mean, he had them in a BCS bowl. He BCS bowl, and then you know, I want to say they won eleven games the next year. And at Arkansas, now we're talking about it like, well, you know, it's decent if they won eight or nine games. Does it make you appreciate more just how good a football coach he is? Oh, I think he is a really, really good football coach. There's no question about that. Now, you know, because Arkansas that- is never going to recruit. They recruit well. But they are not going to recruit at the level of Alabama, LSU, maybe even A and M. Certainly, Ole Miss under Freeze has recruited at a higher level. Like they're not playing with necessarily the uh, to the same blue chips that a lot of the other teams in their division are. No, but uh, I'm going to use the same thing you just used on me, and this is going to hit close to home, Stu. So don't hate me for it. Does all this, after what we're talking about, make you look? at Houston Dale Nutt Jr. <laughs> a little differently. Well, he definitely, I mean, he definitely had his moments there. I, he I won not three SEC divisions at three Western titles. He was the three-time SEC Coach of the Year. And if he's listening to this right now, I know he's gesturing around his waist at this point. So Is that this right? Feel- three-time SEC Coach of the Year? Yes. 2001, 2000- 2006, and 2008. That 2006 team was not far from having By a chance way, to play. I should, I should clarify. One of those is when he was at Ole Miss. I also think that you said three division titles. Yes. So he played in the SEC title game. Three, yeah, you're right. Three times. Yeah, he had his moments. There's no question about it. Um, it, it didn't end particularly well, but at it either never, stop. It almost never ends well. Yeah. It almost never ends well. For anybody. The weird thing now, I'm looking at his his record, is that, you know, it's this is a decade ago now, but it was such a bizarre last year there. So they, do you remember this? They win 10 games in 06. They go to the SEC title game. They lose to Florida. They actually ended up 10 and 4. I mean, they were uh, 7 and 1 in the SEC. But there was so much controversy swirling around the the guy, the Mustaine, and do you remember the other names of the other guys? That was the Springdale Four. Yeah, you How, know what? He hired Gus Malzahn as his offensive coordinator to get those guys. Then basically took away all his, uh, you know, took it away from him after one game. So I mean, we're not going to run that anymore. And then there was all this stuff in the net. I mean, you remember the text messages with the with the TV I, anchor. I do. I have a, a buddy I work with at ESPN magazine who just doesn't cover college football. And this was one of his first bigger stories to work on. I remember he did this feature where, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of, there was a lot of it that felt kind of icky to be honest, not his writing, but just kind of the, the tenor of everything that was out there. And me, and I was, I got pretty involved in that too. I reported a pretty extensive story about what was going on. I mean, you had fans that were sending freedom of information acts to give I me, mean, there was a, they had just won 10 games, and there was a section of the fans that wanted him gone so bad that they were filing public – you've never seen anything like that, filing Freedom of Information Act requests to, like, dig up dirt on him. So then they come back the next year, and they weren't bad. They went 8-4, and four, most memorably beat LSU when LSU was number one in the country. They had Darren McFadden. They had Felix Jones. 
And but it was like a foregone conclusion. If he doesn't get out, they're gonna fire him if he doesn't get out first, which he did to go to Ole Miss. So God, that was a weird time. And maybe that kind of clouds in my mind as I think back to him as a coach. But you're right. He definitely he had one, two, three, four seasons at Arkansas of at least nine wins. Bielema's had none so far. So by the way, when he had those nine win seasons, this was usually they weren't playing as many games. Right, it was the eleven ones. It was the eleven game season, not the twelve. Uh, you're yes, that is well. No, it's a lot true. of nine and fours in there. Because because the, he went to a conference title game. Nine and f- there's a nine and five, look, a nine and look, four. Look, he had his first year. He was nine and three. That's obviously, and that was with a bowl game. He went to bowls seven. He went All right, to, let's just look at it. eight bowls. He went to eight bowls in his last year. At Arkansas, 2007, he went eight and four, which is 12 games, and that includes the Cotton Bowl. Let's look at a list. What more do you need to know? What more math do you need to know here, Stu? Well, I just want to compare. So I'm looking up a list of Arkansas head coaches, and Houston Nuts 610 career winning percentage there. He's the second. He's won the second most games in school history behind uh, the legendary Frank Broyles. Ken Hatfield had a nice run there, went 760. Uh, it's not that much less than Petrino. I mean, Petrino was 667. Nutt was 610. Um, looking back here, Lou Holtz, 735 in his distinguished run. And he also had a messy exit, right? He did. Um, I, I think he, he had a good run there. I don't I, You know, 10 years later, we can look back and say, yes, he had a good run there. And also... You know, looking at all of these guys' records makes me think, you know what? Bielema really needs to step it up. I mean, Arkansas is capable of more than what they've been doing. Yes. I think my goal in, in 2017 is to bring you and Houston Nutt together. Let's do it. All right. It's been a decade. We can bury the hatchet. All right. With that, Bruce, this will be my last episode for a little bit because I'm doing that one thing that is like a foreign concept in your world, which is going on vacation. Um can't come soon enough maui here we come and uh i'll be back later next week as always if you enjoy the audible please subscribe on itunes stitcher google play wherever you get podcasts leave a five-star review while you're at it it helps get the word out and you can send emails to the audible pod at gmail.com we often get tweets asking what the email address is i'll say it again the audible pod at gmail.com We'll see you next time.